And from the next chapter after that one, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2 as we continue through this Advent, the first two chapters in Matthew. Matthew 1, Matthew 2 and verse 1 up through verse 12. Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. This is the written in the inerrant word of God. All thanks be unto him. Let us pray. O Lord, open up these words that we would understand them and apply them to our lives, that we would know how to follow you and seek you out. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Until a truth from the Word of God is rooted deeply in our hearts, we can't expect life transformation. If we have but a passing acquaintance with God and the Bible, we can't expect a life transformation in the presence of Christ. It's like a person who works out once a month and then finds there isn't much change at the bathroom scale. Or someone who goes for an extreme makeover on their house and does the front porch up pretty well, but then they never make it inside where most of the living happens. Most of our living happens inside, in the inner woman or the inner man. It's got to change there. And that's where the word is implanted, according to James in chapter 1. We need to commit to pursue the presence of the Lord, as these wise men did, as we read in verse 1, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They took a long journey. They fervently pursued the one whom they were convinced 
would make a difference in their lives and in the world. There were many messianic hopes in the Gentile world also preceding the birth of Jesus. The great Roman poet named Virgil wrote what is now labeled as the fourth eclogue and was believed by none other than great Saint Augustine to be a reference to the coming Messiah. I quote, now from high heaven a new generation comes down, yet do thou at that boy's birth, in whom the iron race shall begin to cease, and the golden to arise over all the world. A picturesque way of putting an iron race could refer to Rome, could refer just to the hardness of men's hearts, and the golden race would rise over the world a race more pliable, like gold is, to the things of God. Now, this isn't the inspired word of God. It's not inerrant. It is not authoritative for us. But it is an expression of an ancient hope, an ancient longing that says that things would be made right in the world. The world needed a savior. And many in the world knew it. They would not all bow the knee willingly to Jesus the way these wise men did, but there was a sense, even those that would not bow before God, that there was something not right. There was a sense of sin, of something being lacking. There was something wrong in their society back then. And knowing that, yet... Many of them wouldn't take the truth when it was shown to them. As it says in Romans 1 and verse 18, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We know something's needed, and yet we suppress that. We push it down in our heart because we can't dare the face of the toppling over of our autonomy, the toppling over of our being in charge of our life. So, you probably know people out there in our society today, even unbelievers, who in 2021 are knowing there's a need for change. There's something wrong in our world. There's something wrong in our country. There's a need for reformation, for salvation of some kind. Now, these women, wise men knew that. And when they got to Jerusalem, they had a course readjustment. They had a change in their journey. And they went south from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. They conformed their journey to the word of God, which was shared with them there in Jerusalem. And I'm calling you today to a vigorous, hearty Christian discipleship, a following after Christ that is ready to pursue him even as these wise men were ready to move out to pursue the presence of the king of the Jews. There's a lot of believers, a lot of Christians who are sitting on their heels, holding back, refusing to follow Jesus as a disciple should. And even more significantly, they are refusing to listen to the word of God. They don't want to hear what it teaches. And they have little desire for course readjustments as those are presented to them as a challenge as this course readjustment was sent. But the wise men were different. 
they were led directly into the presence of Christ. And so now I want us to unpack the story with the following outline. First, verses 1 and 2, where is he? We have come to worship him. Verses 3 through 8, false worshipers who learn of the king but do not believe in him. And then verses 9 to 12, resolved to worship the king as they follow his star. Verses 1 and 2, where is he? We have come to worship him. The first question in the Old Testament is found in Genesis 3, verse 9. When the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? It's not as if the Lord suddenly had a case of ODS, omniscience deficiency syndrome. The Lord knew where Adam was, but the Lord was reaching out for Adam. He was questioning Adam to alert him to the fact that he should not be hiding, that Man and woman were created for fellowship with God. And God was alerting them to the fact that to stand in the shadows of the trees of the garden, hiding themselves because of their shame and their nakedness, which came from breaking God's law by eating the forbidden fruit, that this question was revelatory that God was still pursuing them. And that's the story of the Old Testament. Man wants to do his thing. Women want to do their own thing. And they are willing to break law, God's law to do that, even to go into idolatry. And the story of the Old Testament is man and woman running away from God into idolatry, making a God in their heart that is not the one true and living God. And then God pursuing them, pursuing them passionately, persistently. And then pursuing them even through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. You know, we live with the residue of our running away from God. Even when we're currently now a believer, we still have this baggage from hiding. It's like we've been hiding in a closet and we come into the light, yet our skin is still like wan and white. It's like we haven't seen the day and our eyes are wincing. And when the truth comes, we get surprised and we're offended by it. But we need to realize that we've got to get past and through the residue of our hiding and come into the light, which is Jesus, and learn of him and learn from him. The first question in the Old Testament presents the problem of human existence. Where are you? The first question in the New Testament, in chapter 2, verse 2, says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he? Samuel Zwamer, the great missionary who worked in Arabia out of the Reformed Church, writes this. Every book of the New Testament answers the question of the Magi and tells us where he is who came to save the lost. Where is he? He's in the manger, on the cross, risen from the tomb, ascended to the right hand, interceding till he comes in glory. Where is he? 
That's where he is, unquote. It's interesting that this letter, this gospel, which on the whole is devoted to bringing the gospel to the Jews, whereas Luke is more focused on the Gentiles. We got the Jewish genealogy here in Matthew going back to Abraham only. In Luke, it goes all the way back to Adam. It's interesting that this gospel, this gospel is the one that has the Gentiles right up front and center asking the right questions. This is the gospel that has Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount like Moses gave the law passed down from God on the Mount Sinai. This is the gospel that has uh, Matthew 27, 37, and they put up over his head the sign, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And yet the first question in the New Testament comes from a group of non-Jews, of Gentiles saying, where is he? And that tells us that we are all meant to worship the Lord, not just the Jewish Old Testament covenant people, but we who are grafted into that covenant as Gentiles. We also, like these wise men, are meant to worship the king. Now, a word about that star. It says in verses 1 and 2 that they... Uh, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And then in verses 9 and following, we see that the star actually goes before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced. It's the same star. Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. I'd like to suggest to you that the star in verses 1 and 2 might be a stationary star. There's no indication that it's moving across the desert, taking them from the east. It doesn't say that. And it could be that this star seen in the east is a sign that points them that a king is to be born in the, to the people of Israel. Some have said the star was a Jupiter and Saturn conjunction. I don't know, you know, Jupiter representing kings and Saturn representing the Jews. I'm not sure. I'm not going to stake the sermon on a speculation. Others say it was a comet. Others say it was a supernova. Maybe a three-way combination of Mars and Jupiter and Saturn. But the key thing in my heart is that there was a star mentioned in the Bible. And that we confessed in our responsive reading. In Numbers 24, So he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open, I see him but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth out. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the son, sons of Tumult. You see, the stars coming out of Jacob, that's another name for Israel. 
It is a star that has a royal, kingly feel to it because it's also a scepter, which is the staff that a king carries to show the extension of his authority. His power goes beyond the length of his arm. It's extended by a scepter to all corners of his kingdom. And this prophecy was known to be out there among the Zoroastrians. There was a man by the name of Zoroastres who was the founder of the Zoroastrian religion and he himself was of Jewish extract and had got this prophecy of Balaam as something that was pointing to the appearance of an extraordinary star whenever the Messiah was to come. And it says, I quote, Messiah shall be revealed and a bright and shining star shall arise in the east, unquote. That's from Zohar in his commentary on Exodus and Numbers. This was an expectation. It's been written down. It precedes this very prophecy. And it could be that these wise men were taught in that religion to respect the Old Testament scriptures. And therefore, when they saw that star in the east, whatever it was, that they would then see that as a signal that Numbers was being fulfilled. The book of Numbers. And also that that same scepter mentioned in Numbers was the scepter mentioned in Genesis 49. A scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. And so that would identify the scepter as peculiarly of Judah. And that's why they go to Jerusalem. Now I'm not going to come down on the theories about the star, but I'm just going to ask you this question. Where is the king? Where is he for you? You know, you may be a person where God's trying to get your attention somehow. God got the attention of these wise men through a star. And you could be a person who, maybe God's getting your attention through circumstances in your life. And you know something's got to change. I was down yesterday with the Hope Reformed Church church family. I was sharing some ideas around this line. And I was just talking about how God gets our attention. He gets our attention through music and the beauties of Christian proclamation in song. He gets our attention through friends who come into our life and share how God's been changing their lives and how you could have that change also. So whatever way God's getting your attention, I want to ask you, where is he? Where is Jesus? And I want to encourage you to pursue as these wise men did. Pursue by going to the church. The church of that day was centered in Jerusalem. We believe the church goes all the way back to Adam, and it goes all the way back there to the first believers. And that church was localized there. It had great error. It had corruption, just like the church today. But it was still the place where God's word was shared. And I want to ask you, would you be willing to go where these wise men went to learn of him, to go to church 
and to hear the word and to process this thing that has gotten your attention and to try to understand it just like the wise men did. And so as we go on to verses 3 and 8, through 8 we learn that there are false worshipers who learn of the king but who do not believe. They heard God's word as was given to them by the church authorities. These wise men heard, but yet the authorities themselves did not believe. They heard what the priests and the scribes read to them from the book of Micah. But Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And then he's plotting. He's plotting the death of this young child already because he says, when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Yeah, right. Tell me about it. You're not going to worship him. You're going to kill him. And I want to suggest to you that you can be a conduit for truth even if you don't believe it for yourself. There are pastors, some of them corrupt who have preached good sermons that many people have been saved by. And yet they end up showing their true colors, that they were never believers, not in one moment of their life, as they corruptly depart from the faith. And we have to pray for such men, that they would be saved for the first time, perhaps that they would be delivered from unbelief and brought into the light of Christ. And this man, Herod, he didn't believe. He was corruptly seeking the killing of Jesus. And yet, the verses that he inquired of from the priests and the scribes gave the wise men the additional truth that they needed to go all the way to the manger. Well, you may ask yourself, well, how come they didn't know that Bible verse? They knew Numbers. They knew, they knew Genesis 49. How come they didn't have that one already? It's because those first two passages were from the five books of Moses. And there were many sects, like the Samaritans in the New Testament, who believed the five books of Moses, but not the prophets and not the writings. This additional prophecy comes from the prophets in the book of Micah where we read in verse 5 of you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So I encourage you today to just come to the word and get your faith clarified. Get it reoriented for that last journey to the manger for the just the five miles compared to the hundreds of miles that they had already taken and get there to Bethlehem. That's where Ruth and Boaz were married and where Ruth brought forth Obed as a fruit of their union. And that was all happening in Bethlehem. And then Obed begot Jesse and Jesse begot David. Right there in Bethlehem, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. All this information is for the wise men, not accessible because they probably only had those first five books of Moses, but it's available in the Word. We need to take the whole Word and have it 
understood and studied and read in your own personal quiet times and then preached and studied on Wednesday nights. We need this word. This is what Jesus believed. Do you know that Jesus believed the five books of Moses were the word of God? He quoted from them. Matthew 4, 7, it's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He said, man does not live by bread alone. He said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And all the time he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Meaning that's the authority. But Jesus didn't just accept the five books of Moses. He accepted the prophets. It says in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, don't think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. If you fulfill something, that means you're going to make it happen. And I am not going to destroy. He says, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. A jot and a tittle are those little marks above the Hebrew letters in the Old Testament version, the Hebrew version of the, of the Bible. They're not going to pass away. It's going to come true. So he believed this, and he believed the prophets, people, prophets like Micah. That's the second part of the Old Testament. The first is the law, the Torah. The second is the prophets, but he also believed the whole of the Old Testament. He believed the writings because he says in John 10, 34, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. And verse 35, if he called them God's to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Yeah, it's not broken. It's true. It's without error. And if we accept Jesus, the Jesus born in the manger, and the Jesus who died on the cross and was raised from the dead, we need to believe what Jesus believed. You see, being conformed into the image of Christ involves the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace, patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. But it also is conformity of our minds to think like Jesus did. If we want Jesus as our Savior, we need to know him as our Lord and trust the written word as Jesus did. So I come to you today and I ask you, will you believe what Jesus did? Will you have your life reoriented like his? Like the wise men to head south at that point when they learn these facts in Jerusalem? Or will you be threatened by that? Herod was threatened and he was troubled. The whole city was troubled, it says there in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Yeah, this is like a big news when there's a new king that's being born, when we know King Herod is up in that palace. I wonder what's going to happen to us. Are we going to get caught in the crossfire? You know, anything that turns the regular rhythms of our life topsy-turvy troubles us. But Herod was also personally threatened his standing because he knew that he was an illegitimate king of that area he was an Edomian which means he was descended from Esau instead of from 
Jacob. He was a fake Jewish king. He was a brutal man with a guilt on his heart of killing even his own three sons. He killed his own sons for suspicion of treason. As a matter of fact, Caesar Augustus, who supported Herod, said, you know, I'd rather be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son, because those sons got wiped out. And this man was threatened by the arrival of a new king. Are you threatened by the arrival of a savior who presumes to be the king of your life? I encourage you not to be threatened, but to be relieved. To be relieved that you can trust him rightly with your life. You can trust him wholly that he will never lead you wrong. Come to Christ this day. Believe on him. And then in verses 9 to 12, be resolved to go worship the king as you follow his star. It's as they accept this word that they're surprised. Not only do they know to go south to Bethlehem, they probably could have gotten there without the star. But isn't it wonderful that this star that they first saw in the east, all of a sudden, it's there began. Verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. So here's what I think the star is, my personal take, my opinion, okay? I think it was a supernova that was the absolute manifestation of the Shekinah glory of God. It was a supernatural Shekinah glory that seemed so powerfully blowing things up that when it appeared in the east, it was unmistakable. And that glory of God that appeared in the desert when the clouds were coming along, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, that same kind of pillar appeared to the wise men in the east. And I believe that it reappeared, the Shekinah glory. I said supernova. I didn't mean to say that. I meant to say Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory appeared again. And it just reassured them, hey, I know it now. God's sending us to see this king. You know, I urge you to find in Christ your salvation and to follow his word, and to go there, and to find that you will see the young child. As you read the word with the eyes of faith, you'll know that he was born, that you'll fall down in worship, and you will open the treasures of your heart to him. Not just the treasures of your possessions, but your treasures of your heart. Open them up to God. And then open the treasures of your possessions and give to him the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, the gold of a king, the frankincense of a priest, and the myrrh of a prophet who speaks out the truth that Jesus was born in order to die and there be buried with myrrh even upon him burial kind of spice.
May God bless you that you would seek out Christ as you face the big question that God asks you, where are you? Come and ask that question. Where is Jesus? Seek him out. Come to his word. Come to his church where his word is proclaimed. And when you find him, put your faith upon him and trust him and even come to bring your gifts to him that you will open them up in the fellowship of his church and present them even to the Lord. Come on a journey to the manger, a path of discipleship, and trust this Jesus. You will be protected. You will be given warning of danger. And you will come to Christ in faith. Let us pray. Lord, this day I ask you to move in your hearts of these friends and family and loved ones in this church family this body of Christ may put their trust in you. In these difficult days that we face, may we go all the way to the manger. May we get that course redirection that we need to have. And may we know your word is powerful and strong to save, that you do rule, and you rule with your loving presence in our life. God bless us. And may we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.